Last couple of weeks we've been talking about the resurrection during the time of Easter, um, but we're kind of stopped at the book of Ruth. We kind of took two weeks off, and now we're going to pick up the book of Ruth again. And I know what many of you guys are thinking. You're thinking, well, you said you're going to get done before Easter, but since when have I ever been right <laughs> when it comes to when it comes to series? Yeah, I know. We still have two more left. So we got number eight today, and then next week we're going to seal off um, the book of Ruth and get the book um, of Ruth done. So as we're looking at the book of Ruth, and just kind of we come to a reminder, but there's one word that's driving the entire book of Ruth, and uh, the word is um, redeemer, redeemer. So if you look at this word redeemer, you want to ask the question, you know, what does it mean? Definition of redeemer is redeemer is a person who repays, recovers, saves, or exchanges something for something else. A person who repays, recovers, saves, or exchanges something for something else. Now, there's a characteristic that must be in every single Redeemer that takes place. And this characteristic is the only way you can be a Redeemer is if you think of somebody else besides yourself. Because the concept of Redeemer is always going to cost you something. It's going to cost you energy. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you your life <laughs> in the cases of Jesus Christ. It's going to always cost you something. Well, why would you ever be wanting to pay for something if you're thinking about yourself? You, you can. You never want to pay for somebody so somebody else can live if you're thinking about yourself. So when you look at the concept of Redeemer, you're always living in a mindset that I'm not the priority. And the person's a priority. I'm not the one that gets, 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 gets. I'm the one that uh, gives away, gives away, gives away, gives away, gives away. It's a characteristic of Redeemer. So when you look at these words, you get sacrifice, you get give, you get you get pay. You know, those, that's what happens. Is it cost you if you're going to be in the context of a Redeemer? So when we look at this book of Ruth, you see chapter 1 take place. And in chapter 1, you see, you see hardship happen. You see devastation. You see Naomi, who's married to Elimelech, who has two sons, Malon and Chilion, leave the land of Israel and move to Moab because there's a famine in the land. And in the process of moving there, um, Elimelech, actually after they showed up there, Elimelech ended up dying. That's Naomi's husband. The two sons married Moabite ladies, Ruth and Orpah. And ten years later, Chilion and Malon died as well. So Naomi lost her husband and she lost her two sons. Devastation has, has marked her way. And as a result of that devastation, she's got to survive. So she moves back to Israel. Going back to Bethlehem is where she's ended up going. And as she's going back to Bethlehem, her two daughter-in-laws follow her, but that's not right. Because her two daughter-in-laws are Moabite ladies. They should stay there because that's their home country. Why should they follow her? They have no life with her. Devastation takes place. Misery follows. It hurts. So what happens is that Naomi turns around and and she doesn't think about herself. <laughs> Acts like a redeemer. Doesn't think about herself. She thinks about them more so than herself. So she gives them the option, turn around and go back home. Well, now Orpah and Ruth are put on a spot. Are they going to be redeemers or are they not going to be redeemers? <laughs> they either have to think about themselves or they have to think of somebody else. Orpah looked at Naomi and says, ah, I love you but just not enough to give my life away to you. She turned around and she went back to Moab. But Ruth looked at her. And when Ruth looked at her, what did she say? Where you go, I go. 
Where you live, I live. Your people, my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I die. Where you're buried, I will be buried. And going completely towards embracing Naomi. During these times of trials, we always we show up as individuals. In fact, you would ask the question, well, who am I? You know, who am I? Well, you see me up here preaching. That's what you see. And you see that I talk and I talk and I talk and talk. But who am I really? If you really want to know who I am, I will show up when trials take place. And then I will shine my real self. Just to give you an example, as a youth pastor at Deaver Connor, and uh, for, uh, for about 10 years, and this one in particular night, we didn't even have um, kids then. Uh, we had uh, three cars at Deaver Connor Church. And one of the cars was a car that uh, wasn't even ours, really. We traded a, our, our fifth wheel we lived in when I was logging. And, and then we got a car for half the price of it. So we're just getting this to pick up to sell it. That's all we were doing. And we had three of them at the church. And two youth kids were going to spend the night at our house because we were going to go rafting the next day. And we had three cars at the church. So Jody and I talked. I said, I'll take one car home. And Jody will take the other car home. And, and these two youth boys, well, why don't you take that third car home? You know, no big deal. It's only about 15 minutes away. So, uh, so I jumped in my car and I head home. They jumped in their cars. I think the two youth guys jumped in their cars. They need to go to the bathroom. They opened the door to go to the bathroom. They left the car in gear. And they started using the restroom. The car started rolling towards a tree. They started chasing the car. I don't even know what it looked like. It was probably ridiculous. But the car ran into a tree. And made a dent. So my wife saw the whole thing. I go, oh, great. All they're trying to do is sell this car, and now we have a dent in the car, and now we got to go tell Mike. And so Jody, two kids, took the two cars and drove it home. And I was sitting there waiting at home, and I was waiting at home. I was was like, where are they at? How come they're taking so long? And Jody walked in the door and said, something happened. And I said, what happened? She says, it's not that big. It's not that big. Not that big what? It's not that big of a dent. It's just a, it's just a small dent that is inside of the car. And the two boys out there, they're feeling really nervous about your reaction. They're feeling really nervous about doing it. They feel really sad. They feel really ashamed. And, um, but don't, you know, just go out there and just, you know, just assess the situation. And I'm like, uh, we'll go look at the situation. I looked out. It was not just a dent. The, the whole half was, caved in on one side and I saw the two boys were sitting right there at the front bumper and they're looking at me with a pale face right in the eyes and and as they're looking at me and I saw the dent and I looked at them I thought you know what I'm going to preach the most powerful sermon I've ever preached in my entire life and it is going to be the most genuine service I've ever preached because the real me is always going to rise and going to say this is what I really think I thought that as soon as I saw those two boys. And do you know what I said? I said, I'm going to go to bed. Because <laughs> I don't want to preach right now. I want to go back home. Uh, so I went, went back and I went back in my room. So I like, oh boy, this is ridiculous. We're just going to cause it. You know, all these things went by my mind. And my wife went out there and said, don't worry. It's all right. It's no big deal. We'll have fun. And, and so those guys went to their their rooms and then my wife came in my room. And, and I was in bed. <laughs> I wasn't going to talk to anybody. And my wife says, Aren't you going to talk to the guys? I said, no, I don't want to talk to them. They're, they're, they're fine. They just, just let them sleep. And she said, your silence is worse than your words. You should probably go talk to them. And so I'm like, all right, I'll go talk to them. So I went and I talked to them. I said, hey, guys, just want you to know, it's no big deal. It's not what I was thinking. I was thinking it's a huge deal. It's no big deal. I said, all right, it's only a pickup. No big deal. Um, you know, because now I'm all, you know, calm down. Everything worked out. And, 
and everything did work out. It was no big deal. We went rafting the next day. We had a great, great time. Never thought about it. And all of a sudden, that car boy got fixed at the got fixed at the, um, the machine shop and made it perfect. And 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 their insurance paid for it. Didn't cost us a penny. And then we sold it. You know, like a week later, and everything was great. But it could have been bad because the real person always wants to rise during trials. That's when you see the real person come up. What kind of damage would I have done in that regard? So when you look at this book of Ruth, you see trials take place. And as a trials take place, the real person rises to make a decision. And what is going to come out is a good question. What came out of Orpah is me first, you second. My life, not yours. She turned around and she went home. What came out of Ruth is the real her rose up during this time of trials. And when it rose up, she says, I will lay down my life so you can live. It's a redeemer. It's a redeemer. This is chapter one. Chapter two, what happens is that Ruth performs laying down her life so Naomi can live. She goes to the field to work. And she goes to the field. This is all in a 24-hour day. She goes to the field and she starts to work like a dog. And she's recognized by everybody. And one in particular guy was this guy named Boaz. Boaz had the strength. He had the power to protect her. And that's exactly what he did. He protected her from harm in the field. He protected her from work. He protected her loneliness. Took care of her all day in that field. To the point where she got asked him, why are you, why are you paying attention to me? Why do you notice me? And he explains to her, I saw you brought redemption. Didn't use the words, but it's almost the same. I saw how you brought redemption to Naomi. Therefore, my hand is going to bring redemption, you know, to you. And then Ruth goes home and she talks to Naomi about her day. And what was your day like, Ruth? And Ruth is like, well, I met this guy. His name was Boaz. And I'll tell you that he just took care of me all day. And she, Naomi says, who? Boaz? Boaz is a relative of mine. He is what? A kinsman redeemer. That means he can rescue every square inch of our life. Why? Because he's a relative. And according to the book of Leviticus and the books of Deuteronomy and the law that God has put in place, we can have, there can be a levirate marriage. Everything could happen that would be wonderful for us, for us where we see complete entire redemption. Throughout that conversation, Naomi says, ask him to redeem you. Chapter 3, we go into chapter 3. And what takes place in chapter 3? Ruth goes to the threshing floor. And what does she do? She asks him, redeem me. And what does Boaz say? I'll think about it. No, he doesn't say that. He says, let me consider it. No, he doesn't say that. Immediately he says, I will do everything you ask. All she says is, redeem me. And he just said, I'll just give you everything you ask. But, there's a but. There's always a but. There's one issue. And this issue was mentioned a couple weeks ago. But I want to mention it again. It's found in verse 12. I will redeem you, but. Here's the but. And now it is true. This is Boaz speaking. I am a redeemer. But, yet, there's a redeemer that is nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him redeem it. Let him do it. But if he will not redeem you, then as the Lord lives, 
I'll redeem you. Lie down until morning. Boaz is a redeemer, but he's not first in line. There's a relative that's closer that gets the rights to, to Naomi. And as a result of that, Boaz has to go through a legal proceedings that has to take place if he's going to be the one that's going to redeem her. Is he worried about it? I don't think he's too worried about it because if you look down at verse 14, and this is not in your notes, he sends Ruth home to Naomi. I do not want Naomi to go, you to go home to Naomi empty-handed. Therefore, I will give you six measures of barley so you will not be empty-handed. Give it to Naomi, and as you give it to Naomi, it's going to communicate something. The way it's going to communicate is that Naomi's going to be taken care of. There's another redeemer, says Boaz, but don't worry, I got it in control because I know him and he's a lightweight. I'll take care of him. No big deal. I got you covered, but I got to go into the town square to do all the political mess and do the legal transactions to make sure that I can be the one that's going to redeem you. So he does. He goes into the town square starting in chapter four. Then Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Just looking at this piece, the first line, up to the gate. You know, Boaz didn't go home. He went up to the gate. He didn't go to find this Redeemer's home. He went up to the gate. Well, what is a gate? Well, Every um, city has walls around it. And there's only one entry, and that entry is the gate. And when you have that one entry, you've got to keep the bad guys out and keep the good guys in. So what's at the gate? All the authorities at the gate. All of the authorities at the gate. In fact, th- there's no authority that goes through the town. Because if there's something going on in town, the authority will turn around from the gate, will pick those guys up and throw them out. So what do you do at the gate? You put the courthouse at the gate. You put all the legal transactions at the gate. Everything's at the gate. You show up and all the cops there, all the police there, all the, everybody that is there, the judges are there, the attorneys are there. Everybody's at the gate back in these days. My wife and two daughters just went down to Mexico to visit a friend. They had to cross the border. And uh, my youngest daughter, she didn't have her um, a passport because they didn't get it in time. But it's all right. You have your birth certificate and you have another piece of ID. And, you know, you'll probably be getting going through. You can get through. But you still walk up to the gate. When you walk up to the gate, you still got all the the people, the authorities. Like, am I going to get through? This is what was taking place here. You know, if you're American, yeah, we'll let you. We'll let you through. Yeah, yeah, no, you don't have to have a passport. We got this. We got this. We got this. Yes, you can go through because they could see that ID. Well, this is where this redeemer is at. Oh yeah, I'll just walk through. But I still have to walk through all the authority. So Boaz did what? He came and he waited at the gate, knowing the guy wasn't in town, but the only way the guy could get into town would to be walked by there. So he waited. Until what? Until the guy walked by. And when he walked by, he approached him. And he said this, Turn aside, friend. Sit down here. It's kind of a funny phrase. Turn aside, friend. Sit down here. Kind of a rough phrase that doesn't even make much sense i mean grammatically almost even incorrect and he calls him friend why does he call him friend i mean boaz knows the guy i mean he's a kinsman redeemer he's a relative he knows the guy did he call him by name do you know what he probably did call him by name but who penned this book who's the narrator of this book 
we talked about is first is Samuel. Samuel is probably the one that wrote the book. We know that whoever is the narrator of this book or wrote this book is uh, is in the future because they see that lineage go down clear past David. So they know that it's in the future. The person's looking back as he's writing the book. And what does he put down here? Sit down, friend. So Boaz probably said the name, but the person who wrote the book's not going to say the name and doesn't say the name. But then our translations don't even do it justice because they use the word friend. You know, in Hebrew, it's not friend is what it means. I mean, if you look at it, poloniamoni, that's a Hebrew word. Hey, poloniamoni, sit down. Poloniamoni doesn't mean friend. You know what poloniamoni means? It's, it's more of like a slang term. It means like something like so-and-so. It's almost like a comment, hey, you, so-and-so, sit. <laughs> that's the way he was approached. But why in the world would the narrator do that? Why the world would the author write that down and not even give him a name and not even say friend, brother, it says friend here, but not in the original Hebrew, brother, hey, mister, hey, um, sir, could you please take a seat? No, hey, so-and-so is the word. Why would the narrator do that? Why would the writer do that? The reason why the writer does it is because he's saying, yeah, this guy's not legit. Yeah, you don't, you don't really need to know his name. Yeah, he's not that big of a deal. In fact, even look at him. Look at it, speak. You see a, a consistent pattern of words take place. Do you know what the consistent pattern is? Sit down or sat down. It's five times in this verse. It says, sit down, sit down, sat down, sat down, sit down. <laughs> that's the way I speak to my dog. <laughs> sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. And my dog doesn't listen to me. Well, that's what happens. You see Boaz literally in charge. I mean, if I'm going to speak to my dog, I'm going to speak to my dog that way because I'm in charge. You know, sit. I'm the commander. You sit. And, and he listens to me, and after they listen to me, I have them sit because I want to give some instructions to him. That's the way Boaz is. He's taking charge of this whole passage. Sit, sit, sat, sit, sit, sat. Yeah, take place. Ten dollars here. You got Mr. So-and-so there, and you got, he's putting everything together to do what? To make this business transaction because he wants Ruth. He wants Naomi. So after he's got everybody seated, Everybody's sitting there. Everybody's listening. Boaz speaks. And notice that he speaks with strategy. Because he is not the first redeemer. This guy is the first redeemer. This guy could take Naomi and Ruth away. So he's going to speak with strategy. So here he speaks in verse 3. Then he said to the redeemer, Mr. So-and-so, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belongs to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, but in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people, if you redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me, then I may know, for there is no one besides you, Mr. So-and-so, to redeem it. And I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. If you don't, one thing I want to notice is the selling of the land. When it comes to the selling of the land, what it really means is that Naomi has land. And if you take care of Naomi, her land is your land. That's what it means. It's like, take care of Naomi and the land that she has is your land. So Mr. So-and-so says, you want me to take care of Naomi and in exchange, I get the land and then you can see Mr. So-and-so start thinking. And in the process of his thinking, Naomi cannot have babies. 
And as a result of not having babies, all they have to do is feed Naomi enough until she dies. And then I take possession of the land. And then I'll be the heir of the land. And the heir of the land will actually go towards my people rather than hers. I mean, every businessman would say, this is an awesome deal. This is a great deal. I mean, what would I lose in regards to that land? I would only gain because in just a few years, it would be mine. Look at it. You can almost see the dollar signs floating in his brains. You can almost see the power, the wealth, the glory, the good that he would receive as a result of this transaction. So what does he say? He says, I will redeem it. I will take Naomi. But then Boaz drops the bomb in the next passage. And what's the bomb? This is the bomb. Then Boaz says, the day that you buy it, you said you'll redeem it, but the day that you buy it from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> this deal all of a sudden didn't turn out that good. Naomi can't have a baby. That means it all goes to me and it all goes to my inheritance. It all goes to my name. Everything is absolutely good and I get everything out of it. You didn't tell me about this tag along that comes with it. I, I mean, Ruth, what, how come she's down here? She's a Moabite. She didn't, why wouldn't she stay in Moab? But she's down here? <laughs> Wait a second. You're asking me to acquire her as well, and then she can have a baby. And if she has a baby, then the land and the honor is actually going to go back to Elimelech, and it's going to go back to Malon, and it's going to go back to Chilion, and it won't go back to me. But yet I have to pay for it. (laughs) You're asking me to lay down my life so, so they will live? You're asking me to pay a price so they can be free? I mean, you're asking me to pay a ransom so they can be all right? What do I get in return? What they get in return is you get them. (laughs) But who cares about them? What about me? This is a business deal. This is a business transaction. So then Mr. So-and-so said this. Then the Redeemer said I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Boaz, please take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. That's a lie. Because he just said he could redeem it as long as it was going to benefit him. But now he says, I cannot redeem it, I cannot redeem it, I cannot redeem it three different times because I don't get anything out of it. And if I don't get anything out of it, why is it good to me? Boaz, take it, take it. I don't care. I don't want it. It's not going to benefit me the way that I want it to benefit me. I'm the priority. They're not. My life's a priority. They're not. Now you know why his name's called Mr. So-and-so. <laughs> He's just not legit. He's just not legit. He just lives and exists for himself. Lives and exists for himself. But not Boaz. Boaz goes right into the deal in verse 7. Now this was the custom for the former times of Israel concerning the redeeming and the exchanging. To confirm the transaction, the one who drew off his sandals and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the dreamer said to Boaz, 
Buy it yourself. He drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon. I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses today, these elders. I am going to do this for Naomi. I'm going to do it for Ruth. I'm going to make sure that the name of Elimelech lives on. I'm going to make sure that the name of Malon lives on. I'm going to make sure that things are done right because I'm not the focus. I will lay down my life, my rights, my money, my things so everybody else can live. And when this was said in the transaction with the whole court there and everybody at the gate watching this transaction take place, something wild happened. There was like this, this, this sense of joy, this sense of excitement from everybody that comes out of verse 11. Then all the people, all the people, this is court. These are the elders. This is the lawyers. This is, this is the town. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. We just saw what happened. And then they move towards, may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah. Oh, you're going clear back to Genesis. Powerful all the way back to Genesis. Who together built up the house of Israel. May you act uh, worthily as Ephrathah and renown in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. They just shout into a party that goes clear across hundreds of years back into the book of Genesis. And they start naming names. But what are these names that they're naming? Perez, Tamar, Judah? Who are these people? These names are actually mentioned somewhere else. They're actually mentioned in the New Testament. In the New Testament, you have the genealogy, the, the writings that we always skip over because it's really boring. The genealogies right before Jesus was born. That here's the genealogies. This is the inherit, these are the people that are coming before Jesus. And it's the bloodline of Jesus. Let me tell you about the bloodline of Jesus. Here they are. These are the people. Judah. That was one of the names that were mentioned. The father of Perez, another name that was mentioned. And Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, another person mentioned. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Solomon. Solomon, the father of Boaz. <laughs> Whoa. There's Boaz in the New Testament, right before the Messiah comes through. But let me ask you a question. Where's Elimelech? Where's Malon? Where's Chilion? Actually, you don't, you don't even see him in there. And I don't know why you don't see him in there, but you see somebody that came in the place that that name is now carrying towards the Messiah. Why was it being carried towards the Messiah? He stepped in the gap. Whose mother was Rahab? <laughs> Who's Rahab? Remember the walls of Jericho? They had to figure out what was going on in the walls of Jericho. They didn't know what was going in there. So if those walls fell down, they went under attack. They had to have a spy. They found a spy. Do you know who the spy was? The spy was a prostitute. Her name was what? Rahab. <laughs> well, who is this prostitute they used to conquer Jericho? Her name was Rahab. Well, Rahab is Boaz's mother. 
No. She gave her life away. So Israelites can live. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. <laughs> oh, he got Ruth clear in the New Testament too. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of who? King David. And who's King David? Is he important at all? I don't know. When Jesus was walking on earth, we see the genealogies be complete. And Matthew 1 1 says the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. David, Abraham, Jesus. I think David's pretty important. In fact, when everybody wanted to have something and receive redemption from Jesus, do you know what they said? This word was mentioned consistently. They said these words Jesus, son of David. Redeem us. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. So as we look at these lists of names, remember the Bible's all about names, Ruth is all about names. What name is missing? The name that is missing is is Mr. So-and-so. <laughs> I don't see no Mr. So-and-so there. He, he doesn't show up. Why does not Mr. So-and-so show up? He was the one in front of Boaz. He was the man that was supposed to be literally right here in the center. And all of a sudden, Mr. So-and-so, not even mentioned. It's not even seen. It's almost like he was raced from history. Not one to even mention or one to even give an ounce to or give time to. Don't even, don't even give him a line in Scripture. Don't even say his name out loud just because it's just, just not legit. There's just nothing... There. Is Mr. So-and-so a race from history? Yeah, Mr. So-and-so is a race from history. Why was he a race from history? It's because we are eternal beings. We are eternal beings. And when we look at this scripture, we see the bloodline come through Jesus. And we see people lay their lives down so other people can live. And they're being recorded of, as great champions of the faith with the ultimate Messiah who laid down his life so he can live. And they're written in this book, written in history. Eternal history. Our names are going to be written in eternal history as well. We're not going to be written in the Bible. We're going to be written in eternal history as well. And in the process of being in eternal history, we're going to look back at our life. When we look back at our life, you know, what, what are we going to say? Are we going to say we're eternal beings that were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? We will be if we do one thing. That one thing is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved because he is the redeemer and that transformation of salvation that has come to you carries a beautiful weight. I've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Therefore, I will lay down my life so others will live as well. They're just connected. They're connected. That I can't live for myself. I live... For somebody else. Why? Because Christ never lived for himself. He lived for somebody else. And that's what salvation is. So I embrace the one that lived for me for the purpose of dying to myself and living for other people. They're so connected. So when I look at this story of Ruth and I put it in my life, I do want to ask the question, do I live for myself or do I live for others? It's a question that comes out of that story as we see somebody kind of wiped off the planet Earth without even a name. So we will ask the question, number one in our notes, there are only two ways to live, for yourself or for others. 
The ultimate redeemer is Jesus Christ. He left heaven. He came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He's living for somebody else, not for himself. He lived a perfect life, completely, um, completely in line with the Father's commands, never sinning once. And then he goes to the cross at his Father's commands, living for God's mission, God's will, and also for us. As all of our sins get placed onto his shoulders, he pays the price. He goes into the grave, dead, paying the whole price, raises again three days later so we can be saved. It's Christianity. We're, we're shouting from the top of our We have been redeemed. Christ lived for us. And then he says these words, now live for others. Now live for others. I embrace him. Why? I embrace him because he did not live for himself He lived for me, it comes to me, then I automatically live for others. That's Christianity. I don't work for my own good, I actually work for the good of the people in regards to the decisions. We just got back from a marriage retreat, and we got back from the marriage retreat, what did we talk about? My wife and I ended up talking. We talked about uh, one thing, kind of through all different stuff, is focus on your others rather than yourself. Focus on your mate more so than yourself. Make her as a priority more than yourself. Make him as a priority more than yourself. Lay down your life so they can live. Why would you focus on that? Because that gives health, life, peace, and rest to a marriage. And that's what happens. It's God's command gives life to everything. In fact, if you want to change a country, if everybody thought of other people rather than themselves, what's going to happen? The country would change. It would be completely the opposite design. Well, God's like, well, I did it. So you can do it. So people can be saved. I did it so you can do it. So others will be saved. That's what the whole New Testament is about. That's what the whole Bible is about. I lay down my life so you can live. You lay down your life so others can live. Number two, if you live for others, you'll have a name in God's redemptive plan of history. We'll ask the questions. We're looking at the book of Ruth. Who is the Redeemer? And you guys probably would say the answer pretty fast. Well, it's Jesus, because I told you the story. But wait a second. We couldn't have even gotten to Jesus to the point if Ruth really stepped in there. And the whole book is named Ruth. And Ruth looked inside of Naomi's eyes and said the words that carry so much power, I will lay down my life so you can live. Where you go, I go. Where you die, I die. Her statement carried a weight of redemption to Naomi. And if she did not do that, the story would never unfold. That's why he called it the book of Ruth. She's the redeemer? Well, she's not called the redeemer. Somebody else is called the redeemer. Who else is called the redeemer? Boaz. So Boaz, he's got to be the redeemer. He's called the kinsman redeemer. So yeah, I know it's named book of Ruth, but maybe it should be the name Boaz. I mean, because he's called the kinsman redeemer. And he does what he needs to do in regards to bring redemption to Naomi, bring redemption to Ruth. So maybe he's a kinsman redeemer. You know there's somebody else that's called a redeemer in the book of Ruth? We haven't got there yet, but you probably read the book. You know who else is called a redeemer in the book of Ruth? His name is Obed. Boaz and Ruth have a baby. I know we just got married. We're not there yet, but next week we'll be there has a baby and they have baby's name is Obed and they take the baby Obed and they give it to Naomi and said, here is your what? Your redeemer. And then of course, Obed has a baby who has Jesse, who has David and then points right to Jesus. This is what's going on. The ultimate redeemer is Jesus Christ. 
and we get written in his story if we lay down our lives for other people because we believe that he laid down his life for us. That's Christianity. I laid down my life so you can live. Therefore, lay down your life so others can live. They're connected. In fact, they're so connected that you go through the, the book of First John and there's some aggressive statements that you just almost want to ignore and avoid. I mean, here's an aggressive statement. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. <laughs> Are you serious? Do you mean if I don't love? Do you mean I just don't know? who he is? Yeah, you don't know him. Yeah, but I accepted him as my savior. You don't know what he did. He laid down your life so you could live. And your understanding of that, of what he did, goes inside of us with his spirit. It's like, how can I not put others before myself? How can I, how can I not? It's just, they're just connected. What I mean, even by connected, is there's two different commandments in the Bible. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love others as yourself. And then it goes as far as saying the two are just intertwined. I mean, how could it, it not come out of you when you see somebody else love you, and when you see God love you in this way? It's, it's what he's about. He is the ultimate redeemer, and we get written inside of his story if we do one thing. Lay down our lives so others can live. Love above ourselves. First John 4.20. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. You say, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, you know, loving your brother is displaying your love for God. He's interconnected them so strong. First John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Lay down his life for us. Well, of course, you would lay down your life for brothers. You look at 1 John 3.16. Um, what do you see when you see 1 John 3.16? Don't you see like John 3.16? <laughs> the same, same author. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And then 1 John 3.16 says, This is how we know what love is, this is how you know John 3.16, Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for others. Receive that love, you, you reject that, uh, you, uh, you love on the other side of it. They're just intertwined, interconnected. Well, you might be thinking, well, how do I love others? Just simple words, love, give, care, serve, sacrifice, encourage, forgive, listen, support, spend time with. You're giving yourself away. Why? Because he... Gave himself away. And that is why I live. Number three in our notes. If you live for yourself, then you're just a Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. The story of Ruth just comes alive. (laughs) Here was a man. I'm going to use people to get money. (laughs) That's who I am. That's who he was. That's who Mr. So-and-so. I'm going to use people to get money. That was his concept. Christ's concept is use money to get people. <laughs> that's the opposite piece of it. So that's a black and white statement. We can say, am I living for myself or am I living for others? You see it all the way through our lives. And we see it in the book of Ruth. He's just a Mr. So-and-so. But who wasn't a Mr. So-and-so? 
Ruth wasn't a Mrs. So-and-so. Naomi wasn't a Mrs. So-and-so. She gave. Boaz was not a Mr. So-and-so. But Mr. So-and-so rejected his awesome gift because he, his gift existed for himself rather than giving it away. It challenges us to look at the story and ask the question, who am I? Do I live for myself or do I live for others? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the story of Ruth. God, it's a real story that took place in time. But God, the person that penned this story wanted a message to get across. And therefore, it is your divine word, your voice to us. And we see characters and names in the story that go clear into the New Testament because they laid down their lives so others could live. But God, as we looked at this morning, we see names that are just kind of wiped off the face of the earth. Names that are not even mentioned. We don't even know the name of Mr. So-and-so. Because they just existed for themselves. God, when we exist for ourselves, we cave inside of ourselves. And nothing is accomplished. Empower us, God, to understand the love that you have given us. So we can love others like you have loved us. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.